Aloha, welcome to the Layman's Lounge podcast, a ministry of the laymanslounge.com, where we exist to bring everyday theology for everyday life. You can send any rebukes or questions or comments um, or or um, what else could you send me? Whatever you want to Jason at the laymanslounge.com. Uh, today we have on the on the show Dr. Gary College. Dr. College is professor at Grace College and Theological Seminary, and he is the author of God and Charles Dickens, Recovering the Christian Voice of a Classic Author. And we don't want to make him blush, but everyone I reached out said, Dr. College is the guy. He's our Dickens guy. He's, and, and he agreed to come on the show, so I'm super excited. And I want the listener to know he's got sort of like a red shirt and then like a, a red and white button-up shirt. So he's, he's got Christmas vibes already happening. Um, what, sort of, what sort of Christmas music you, do you like to turn up this time? Oh, man. Uh, you know, I have a, a pre-Christmas CD that I, because the rule in my house is no Christmas music until after Thanksgiving. Okay, reasonable. So I have a pre-Christmas CD that are just a bunch of songs that I associate with Christmas from college. Uh, but yeah, I, I've made a, a, a Christmas CD for the family, <laughs> CD, yeah, a, a playlist uh, for the family every year since, uh, gosh, probably 1997. Wow. And so I, uh, I, I like classic stuff. Not necessarily classical, but but classic stuff, but everything. I just heard a new Christmas song. Well, for me, it was new um, by uh, Robert Plant and Alison Krauss. It was Ooh. from the, a movie called the Love the Coopers or something. It, I think 2010. I never saw the movie. I'm a huge Christmas buff. Never saw the movie, but the song's great. So any kind of Christmas music is good for me. You get out. I love Alison Krauss. I'm not not exaggerating because you brought her up. She might have the best voice on the globe. That like she is like silk yeah. angel. Goodness yeah. great. I'm gonna link that. I'm gonna find that song and I'm gonna link that like link it on here on the show notes. But I like Amy Grant, by the way. Amy Grant's I know yeah. she's pretty 80s, but tender Tennessee Christmas. Yeah, that, that gets me going. <laughs> well, yeah, my, my kids are all over the place. So uh, one year I made a, uh, a CD with, with that on it uh, because I had a daughter in Nashville, had a, mm-hmm. uh, a, a daughter in Michigan, a son in Illinois. So, yeah, I use those kind of state type Ooh. songs to to put together. OK, I'm going to yeah, put you in a I'm, corner. Don't. Hey, it's OK if you fail this for Illinois Christmas. Someone comes to my mind. I'm going to say it. Ready for this? He's yeah. a little he's a bit of a hipster, though. I don't, so I don't know if you've heard of his name, Suf, Sufjan Stevens. Yes, I put his song okay. on there for me. Okay, for you passed the test. So. You are the father of Christmas. <laughs> not Dickens. You invented Christmas. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thanks. So, okay, I think when most people, so I think when most people think of Charles Dickens, okay, I'm just going to say me, what I think. This is what comes to my mind. I like English guy. And I think of like two large smokestacks, like in just dirty, grimy, like London, just like everyone's, it's just like gray, you know? And um, of course, 
A Christmas Carol. But but the movie, the movies, not the book. Like yeah. I think of the book, but like I've never I've never read the book. Don't judge me. But I <laughs> I've read I've seen, I think I've seen every variation of the movie who hasn't and even Scrooge. Remember how good Scrooge was? I bet everyone brings that up. That, that's one of the best renditions of the whole thing. It really is one of the best interpretations. Okay, we're going to return to that then. That's amazing. And then and then I guess he was the guy who said it was the best of times, it was the worst times. I think that's a little more nuanced if you if you knew that, like if I if folks knew that one. I don't know even what that's from. And Tale then um what one's it from? It's the introductory paragraph from the Tale of Two Cities. Okay, so Tale of Two Cities. Okay, there we go. So all that to say, I think, I think that's what most people think when they think Dickens. I, I don't, in my own mind, I wouldn't have assumed, I would have just sort of kind of assumed he was sort of like maybe a Christian kind of, or maybe one of those like universalist guys or sort of a deist. I don't know, I kind of think, I would just clump him. And I don't know why I would clump him there. I would. So anyways, all that to say, can you just give us a little bio on on Charles Dickens and his and his time and his landscape and and what's going on around him? Well, yeah, when you talk about the two smokestacks and the dirty, grimy London, uh, you've nailed it. I mean, that's that's Dickens's London, um, and uh, so that that created uh, the the not only the imagery but the imagination in terms of his stories. And his storylines that 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 dirty, grimy London with uh, a lot of homeless, what what we would refer to as homeless people, uh, children on the streets uh, without parents. Um, so yeah, that that London that you picture uh, uh, is the backdrop for much of what Dickens writes, mm-hmm. uh, and and we don't, I guess. Yeah, my, my introduction to Dickens is kind of romanticized. I, I think of top hats and long coats and, oh, yeah. and waistcoats and uh, the, the Dickens, the traditional Dickens Christmas. And so that was my, that's, I think that's what drew me to Dickens, uh, just that Victorian, that romanticized Victorian mm-hmm, picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it, you you get the grime and the dirt, whenever, whatever you read by Dickens. We were just... Mm-hmm. My wife and I, or my daughter, wanted the kids, uh, her grandsons, uh, our grandsons, to read something by Dickens. So we thought something short. We pulled out A Tale of Two Cities. Um, Just everything about it was a little too much for these 12-year-old twins. Uh, So we we walked that back a little bit. Um, They've always read The Christmas Carol because Grandpa likes A Christmas Carol, Mm -hmm. uh, like you. Um, I'm kind of a connoisseur of the movies, uh, the, the Dickens Christmas Carol movies. And I think, uh, since you brought it up, I think the best one is the one in 1984, George C. Scott is Scrooge. Uh, apart from, yeah, that's my favorite one. And then Scrooge would be second. But yeah, mm-hmm. back to the whole uh, dirty, grimy thing. Dickens uh, was started out as a reporter. For a newspaper, mm-hmm. he wanted to be an actor, uh, and <laughs> uh, if if he hadn't had a really bad head when he had an important uh, audition, uh, we may have never had the Dickens Corpus because oh, wow. he really liked acting and wanted to be 
uh, an actor, and that'll probably mm. come up later in the mm. uh, the conversation. Uh, but yeah, he started writing uh, sketches by Bose, was just a, a a collection of comedic sketches, and there, and that just uh, skyrocketed him. Dickens became um, what should we say? Uh, the first popular culture celebrity, the first rock star. Whoa. He, he really was. So um, he wasn't one of those guys who like sort of became famous after he died. He, you're saying he was like a big deal even as he was alive. Yes, extremely. And then he, right after he died, he fell out of favor with literary critics. And it wasn't until the, the 20th century, close to the, the mid 20th century, that there is an interest in Dickens' literature revived, huh. and and he started to be seen for the great writer that he was. Why did they Why did they start hating? Uh, I think uh, uh, there there was a, early in the, in the 20th century there was a realist movement, and uh. Dickens was too sentimental. Uh, sentimentalism uh, characterized Dickens, and especially in the old Curiosity Shop. Uh, the death of Little Nell uh, was sentimentalized to the extreme. At least the critics felt that. Right. And so he did He did fall out of favor very early after his death. And again, it, he, he came back around. So, okay, what about the religious, I sort of the religious landscape? Like I said, okay, so when I think of that era, and I don't even know, I don't even know the dates necessary, but this is who I'm thinking. I'm thinking Spurgeon. Hudson Taylor, um, uh, George Mueller, and you know, and the, the robber of the cool, cruel streets of London. All these like, like kids either in factories or sort of homeless and being treated really bad. And then, and then, yeah, I guess sort of a Unitarian and even, but a post Enlightenment. Maybe not a lot of folks are Christian. So, anyways, what at his time? What is the religious landscape there? Yeah. Uh... Spurgeon a little bit after Dickens. Dickens, um, uh, you mentioned early uh, about the uh, typical lay Anglican. That was, in my mind, that was Dickens. Uh, lay Anglicanism was um, a little bit like Christianity in America 25 years ago. Okay. Um, it was just there are all sorts of different ideas about basically based on uh, you, you do good stuff, good works uh, will get you to heaven or right with God. However, you want to talk about that. And in the Victorian era that Dickens uh, kind of ruled. um, Yeah. You had that, that, that lay Anglicanism. You had the, the, the Anglican high church, the high churchman, uh, Newman, uh, Cable, those guys, um, that were, it was hard to tell the Anglican church from the Catholic church. Um, mm. well, well, the Anglican church at that time was pretty much still Henry VIII's version of Catholicism. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that you had that high church Anglicanism, you had what they referred to as the low church, which was evangelicalism, uh, mm. pretty much the way we know it. Right. Um, right. And you had a broad church, which was a much more liberal understanding of of Christianity. So you had those three things going on. Uh, And then you had uh, people like Dickens somewhere in the middle of all that, 
Mm -hmm. uh, Dickens was Dickens was your typical Englishman. Well, as uh, uh, again, as Americans see Englishmen, kind of stayed, <laughs> kind of proper. He wouldn't have liked Spurgeon. Spurgeon would have been too bombastic, right, too right. for him. Uh, uh, and he uh, uh, would have uh, he appreciated the high church, but he mm -hmm. didn't like he didn't feel the high church was doing anything for people. Uh, it, right. it didn't recognize the needs, the, the severe needs in the Victorian era. Mm -hmm. So he, when he writes in his work uh, about uh, pastors or ministers, it's either the parody of the evangelical or a parody of the high churchman. Right. right. Uh, so uh, again, during his time, I think he represents kind of the typical um, lay Anglican. Did he have any, do we know, like, did he have any correspondence with, like, um, I, I guess Mueller would be most the most on his same page. For those of you who don't know, George Mueller was, like, this awesome this awesome guy who just, like, raised what is now, like, $7 million and all these orphan houses to get these sort of uncared-for kids off the street. Great book. I think it's called The Robert of the Cruel Streets of London or something. Such a good bio. But anyways, do you know if he had any correspondence with him or... Or anyone else isn't like Darwin and Nietzsche around this time. Did he have any correspondence with either any sort of formidable pastors or theologians or even scientists or anything like that that we know of that you know of? Well, not that I know of. I, and I would say I, I, there are 10, 10 to 12 volumes of his letters. I certainly haven't read all of them. Oh my uh, but but they're usually the literature somewhere. Someone would have found something if he had correspondence with those guys. He spoke of um, in, in his library, he had works um, of theologians. There, there was a huge work that overshadowed uh, Darwin's uh, origin of species in 1859. In mm -hmm. 1860, a work called Essays and Reviews came out written by, um, I think, seven Anglican churchmen and one lay Anglican churchman. Mm -hmm. And it it changed the landscape of uh, biblical interpretation in Great Britain. It wow. was it was huge, and it, uh, as I say, as big as Origin of Species was mm. uh, in in Great Britain. Essays and reviews was a thing. Dickens had that in his library. Mm. He had uh, a, a collection of five of the eight what they called the Bridgewater treatises, mm. which were scientific, serious scientific works, but basically that we're trying to emphasize the goodness and the power and the wisdom of God. Mm. So scientists and geologists looking at God's, well, looking at creation from the aspect mm. of God's mm. handiwork. Mm. Dickens had that. So as a, as a layman, Dickens, uh, I've said in my book that he was not a theologian and he wasn't, he didn't want to be one, mm -hmm. but he was an informed uh, thinker and informed reader, mm. uh, and he interacted in his letters with his friends about these these different works and things. But mm. as far as uh, some of the the names that we would know um, from the from the Christian Church in Great Britain, I'm not aware of any correspondence. Do you know was he was he a part of a local church? Did he go, or was he like the kind of guys like, oh no, my library and you know the park is my church, or <laughs> You, you know what? He um, he was very interested in the church, but he just didn't like the high church. There mm -hmm. are stories. Uh, his his parents took him to a Baptist church mm -hmm. uh, when he was old enough uh, uh, to be on his own and he was an adult. 
There are stories of him listening outside of a Baptist church, not going in, but listening outside to the sermon. Mm. Uh, but he did have, you had mentioned universalism. Uh, he did have a, a, a flirtation uh, w- with the Unitarian church that he attended for almost two years. Uh, and it was more, in my thinking, and the research I've done, it was more his fascination with Edward Taggart, who was the pastor of this church. Mm. He, had, he had gone to America. He had heard William Ellery Channing, uh, and that got him interested in Unitarianism. Unitarianism would have been much different in the 19th century than, than how we understand Unitarianism. Mm. But uh, he got interested when he heard Channing in America. He came back, uh, talked with Edward Taggart, who was a Unitarian pastor, and Dickens was enthralled with the heart for people that the Unitarian, Unitarian Church yeah. had. This is this is precisely what was missing in the high church for Dickens. Mm, mm. So he was drawn to Unitarianism. Uh, I, with along with most scholars, would say it was a flirtation. Mm-hmm. And again, it was not so much Dickens theologically identified with Unitarians. I'm not yeah. sure he wanted to theologically identify with anyone. But uh, you, you mentioned Mueller's work with children. Dickens was uh, totally involved in the ragged school mm-hmm. movement, right. which, again, was, was trying to help children uh, get on their feet and be educated, be able to read yeah. and uh, yeah. those sorts of things. And, and the Unitarians were very much involved in that kind of social mm-hmm. action, and that appealed mm-hmm. to Dickens. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is a two-part question. First of all, so was he... I mean, this is the point of the book, right? But was he a, a Christian? And if so, was he sort of, um, like, like you had mentioned, he sort of rags on the clergy, you know, at different levels. <laughs> but that there, you know, as we all know, there's that's that's healthy, you know, in, in some instances, especially with corruption and whatnot. Um, but was he a Christian? And if so, and this might be hard for us to like, you know, maybe you piece it together as much as you can. Would he, would we, if he was like, on this call, would he sort of be one of like the social justice warrior Christians or like, or, you know, like, is, is it like the gospel is very important to him or like, oh yeah, we go to heaven when we die. He'll at least like sort of affirm that, but he's more about um, the imitation of Christ or how, how do you gauge that and sort of your, what you've read? Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I, I think with Dickens, that is the question. Um, I think when you mentioned the, the social justice guy, uh, yeah, but uh, yes, but it would be anachronistic to think of that as just transposing some oh. social justice person okay. today. Okay, back into I received the 19th that. Century. <laughs> wow. Yeah, so he was, he would, uh, he just thought the church was failing in what they were supposed to do. Mm. Uh, and that one of their main things in, in, in just in London would have been uh, look at all the homeless people, look at all these, these disenfranchised people, these poor people, you got to do something about that. And as far as Dickens was concerned, uh, the church wasn't, didn't even see it. And so that's why he came out very strongly against uh, the clergy oftentimes and the church, but he was trying, uh, and again, I kind of argue this in all of my work, uh, I think he was not the detractor from outside. Uh, 
but yeah. he wanted to he wanted to see it from outside and he wanted the church to be what it was supposed to be mm. he didn't hate the church and mm. he didn't hate religion he wanted the church to be what it was supposed to be and that was to be imitators of jesus mm-hmm. uh, and if that included social action then so mm-hmm. be it it had to mm-hmm. be a part of it mm-hmm. was he a christian oh gosh uh i think so um and i think he had a sense of uh almost what um i i use the term i i hesitate to use the term evangelical in the, the current climate today mm-hmm. but if an evangelical is someone who believes that the scriptures are the word of god mm-hmm. uh that we're to proclaim that that it's centered around the death of Christ and the atonement of Christ on the cross. And uh, it's supposed to be, uh, we're supposed to be involved in our world. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then yes, Dickens leaned in that direction, but I would never make him an evangelical of our day or of Mm -hmm. his day. Mm -hmm. Dickens did his own thing, Mm -hmm. uh, but I believe that he understood Jesus as the savior who died on the cross for the sins of people Uh, He wasn't just, uh, and if he wasn't that, uh, he, he thought very carefully about it. He was not an ordinary person who just thought, uh, this is great. Uh, I did the best I could and everything will be okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, he thought carefully about everything. And I, and I just think uh, the things that he talked about and the way he talked about them, they suggest to me that, uh, if if nothing else, he understood mm-hmm. the atonement. So mm, okay, okay. This is sort of like an enigma, you know. As you're talking, he sounds to me not not tit for tat, but like what's that Canadian guy's name who everyone's like all confused about? Just Jordan something. No, he's like a he's sort of like a a modern critic. What is this guy's name? He has like everyone listening knows this right now, but everyone's like, is is this guy? I, think I know who you're talking about. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know his name either, but I think I know. You know what I'm saying? He's like, you know, and we have a lot more of his stuff right now because he's alive. And we're like, but is he a Christian? Like everything like like it's like he's in that orbit and in that realm. But there's not necessarily something outright. Anyways, ah, it's Jordan. We're going to have to get that down. Anyways, what about I think something cool that you that you referenced that sort of overlooked is. What's so what's the deal with like people would have sort of two books in their house and then one was like a harmonization and he had one or can you, can you explain that? Yeah, that's, that's kind of at the heart of my work. Uh, He wrote a thing for his kids that we call the life of our Lord. Uh, He never titled it. Um, Mm. It was uh, exclusively for his children. He never meant it to be published. It wasn't published until 1934 Mm. after the death of his youngest son. Uh, but it's a it's a harmony of the Gospels, uh, a juvenile harmony. And uh, yeah, I referenced that uh, people, uh, Victorians tended to, uh, I, and I, I'm starting to hate as a historian, I've started to hate these kind of generalizations. But for the most part, people had two books in their house, a Bible, mm. and at least two books a Bible and a harmony of the gospels, which is a unique, a harmony is simply taking all four gospels Mm. and interweaving them Mm. into one running narrative. Mm. It's not a synopsis. We have books that are synopses where you see the gospel side by side. Mm. 
there mm. it's in columns and so you can see the parallel passages mm. a harmony is one running narrative where you've taken all four gospels and interwoven them to create this narrative mm. that was a very popular form of the gospels in the victorian era especially during dickens time mm. and juvenile harmonies or harmonies for young people uh, were very much a part of that and dickens is the life of our lord is a juvenile harmony written for his kids. He wrote a thing called the History of England, which he wrote again for his children, although that was published. But he said very clearly, I'm writing this because I want my view of history. What It was revisionist, but it wasn't a distortion of English history. It was just, I want my kids to hear it through these lenses. Yeah. And if anybody's going to teach them history, I don't want the high church doing it. I don't want professors oh, yeah. doing it. Yeah. I'm going to do it. Yeah. And he did the same thing with the Gospels. Wow. He said, if, 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 if someone's going to teach my children about Jesus, it's going to be me. And so he writes this, this harmony, which if you compare it to other juvenile harmonies, it's, it's a pretty good one. He, he, so what he, is it? Is he like, well, first of all, I would see why you... For, for anyone to take the time to do something like that, that's that's a huge like, like, right. He's not trying to make money off. That's that's the big one. That's the overflow of the heart. The mouth speaks. And that's what he wants to hand on. So, I mean, obviously, that's probably why it's such a big deal to you. But just real quick, what is the can you just drill down a little bit like about how long is that thing? Is he just paraphrasing them all together, putting them chronologically in order? Is he sort of expounding? Is he adding his two cents anywhere? You know, no, not really. Uh, well, of course, uh, the way he does it uh, in the beginning, uh, the, the Simon and Schuster edition of this says the life of our Lord. Again, Dickens didn't call it that. Mm -hmm. But when they published it, they said it was written from 1946 to 1949. So mm -hmm. over a three year period, it kind of evolved. And as he's writing it, the very beginning of it, you see the hand of Dickens. This thing was the reason he didn't want it published was he knew it was not a piece of literature. He, mm. he wasn't doing it for that reason. He was writing mm. it for his kids and mm. he refused on several urgings from family and friends to, to, to publish it. He would, he was adamant that it, this is never going to be published. And it was a manuscript. Uh, I think the manuscript still resides in the free library of Philadelphia no way. Uh, when, I was, when I was working on my dissertation, I went there and worked with the manuscript. So wow. you can, it, it's a written thing. It was never printed. And he did have some things. He had the, the history of England pr printed after he wrote it for his son, but it did become published. Uh, this Life of Our Lord wasn't uh, ever published that way until 1934. And he wanted his, th this was for his children. And so Yes, he's setting down the very beginning. Uh, if this took a three-year period, as you read through it, you see, okay, there's a, there's a touch of Dickens there, and mm -hmm. you can see the plan. As it gets to the end, he, he just starts quoting verbatim from the no way. Just, wow. just just grabs stuff and pours it in, because I think he wants to get it finished. And wow. the, the, the legend or the story is, uh, and we get this from his children, that he would read this thing to his children every Christmas Eve. And mm. he would probably, his, his uh, interest in acting, he would probably act it out more than anything. <laughs> he better. So, yeah. And he would, uh, uh, he, he would, would do every part. 
He'd be everybody. <laughs> he probably would, and he would probably be good at it. So uh, that's what this thing is. It's a, it's a harmony of the Gospels that Dickens writes for his kids. Now, certainly, if you're going to study it, uh, you're going to think of what's in it, but you're also going to think of what the Dickens leave out. Uh, my my thesis is that this is an important piece that tells us something about Dickens' religion. It tells yeah. us something about his Christianity. Yeah, it was it was kind of panned by critics. That's because Simon and Shoes. Well, it was United Newspapers who who really uh, there was all this hype around it. Uh, something that Dickens didn't ever want published because he knew this uh-huh. is not a literary work. Mm-hmm. I don't want. I don't want people to judge us as a literary work. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. That's what the <laughs> critics looked at it and said, this is, this is not good. This is just a piece of crap. Mm-hmm. Why do we have this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and Dickens would have said, you're right. It, I, it's not a Charles Dickens piece of writing. It's, it's for his kids. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when it came out, the critics panned it and they should have, it, it's not a good piece of literature, especially if it's written by Charles Dickens, but that's not the point of it. The point of it was to teach his kids about Jesus. Mm -hmm. So they knew who Jesus was Mm -hmm. as Dickens wanted them to see Jesus. So last night I'm like, I'm going to just Google Charles Dick. Look at the Wikipedia entry. You know, there's always some fact and fiction there. And this is what I saw. Basically the way, so help, help you could separate this. Something like, Maybe his sister, sister-in-law lived, lived with him, which is sort of normal at the time. And maybe she was 17. She died. Maybe his wife wasn't that bummed because he thought he was a little too close to her. And then also, I don't, did I see that? Um, and I'm not saying he can't be a crit, like we're all, we all struggle, right? You know, all, whatever. I'm not saying he can't be just, if you could just sort of hit these things, what's real, what's not that he essentially was estranged or separated for, from his wife for like, many years another thing i might have seen was that he had like a sort of a carl bart for like decades sort of a a mistress or something like that so is any is that bogus is that stuff real or uh basically yes uh he married into the hogarth family he married Catherine hogarth um he was i think he was enamored of her younger sister and that's the one that died in his arms. Actually, uh, he found her on the floor and, and she died. I think I think he really was in love with her, although they never had any illicit affair or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, Catherine would have probably been bummed that her sister died. But uh, this was good to get Mary out of the house. Yeah. And Georgina came and lived with them. Oh, and Georgina. She, yeah, she loved Dickens. Uh, I think literally. Um, and uh, so, she, but she was always there. And so Catherine, well, who was she? Was she a relative or? Yeah. She was Catherine's older sister. Okay. All the sisters coming in and yes. creepy Charles just loving them all. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but he wasn't, he wasn't so fond of Georgina, although <laughs> she, she took care of him. Uh, mm. It's true that Dickens was separated from his wife he would have probably been divorced, but during that time, the divorce laws were so stringent, uh, he wasn't going to do that or wasn't even able to. Mm. He did have, I think it's fair to say, uh, if, if he didn't have an affair with, he was, again, enamored of Ellen Turnan, an actress that he met 
mm. uh, in, in theater. Uh, those who want to defend Dickens are always going to say, well, whenever he was with Ellen, Ellen's mother was with them. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but he probably liked her too. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, Charles. Chuck, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, uh, Michael Slater, who wrote a, um, I, I think it's 2009, he wrote the definitive biography of Dickens, uh, at least for right now. Uh, and he said, we don't know a whole lot uh, uh, about all this stuff. There's there's the, the latest thing in Dickens studies. Well, it's probably a decade ago now was that uh, Dickens and Ellen Turnan had a child uh, that died uh, right after it was born. Uh, there's no proof of that. There's no. So there's a lot of these things circulating about Dickens that, uh, you know, people just like that with celebrities. And totally. uh, but yeah, there's no excuse for I, I don't want to excuse Dickens. Um, but it, 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 what we know is true that he and uh, Catherine were separated. Mm. They ended their lives that way. They never reconciled. Mm. Um, the, the stories are that Dickens was very mean to her. Uh, again, I don't know if that's true. Um, but uh, yeah, those, 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 those basic things we were pretty certain are true. Yeah. Uh, some of the other uh, rumors, uh, we just don't know. He know. sounds like a sinner, just me and you, just like me and you and David <laughs> and Abraham. I just heard recently, you'll remember that guy, A.W. Tozer, right? Everyone knows about him. But I just heard that, like, he was a really crappy husband. I guess after he died, his his wife remarried like a few years later. And she was someone interviewed her and they're like, how are you? And she's like, I'm the happiest I've ever been. Um, A.W. I forgot his name, but she's like, A.W. loved Jesus, but and whatever her new husband is, but he loves me. I was like, oh, there's this guy, you know, praying three hours a day, but can't love on his wife. Oh, we're so, we're, we are, we really are curved in. We're not letting you off the hook, Dickens, but yeah, right. we, he carries around a body of flesh just like us, right? Exactly, exactly. And I, I, I and I think I say in my book that I, um, I, I'm not sure that can discount any of the good stuff. Uh, and I'm thinking of spiritual or religious stuff that he wrote. Um, because like you said, uh, we're all, all messed up. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, s some people know about that. Uh, others don't. Um, yep. but I've always, I've always heard it. Um, if, if you knew how messed up I was, you would have never invited me to be on this show. Totally. But of course, if I knew how messed up you were, I wouldn't have agreed to come. So <laughs> um, it's, it's that sort of thing um, it's so it's so true i i'm not a lutheran but i, I do appreciate the lutherans because they they sort of they get it right they're like yeah we're all a little bit you know they say we're simultaneously saint and sinner i think of like okay jonathan edwards had a slave bart had like a mistress um you know david yeah. was the worst of all of them and, and you know now we know about aw tozer dickens was a little Dickens had a crush on everyone. All right. So now we add that. All right. What? Um, ooh, before I get, I'm going to, I'm going to watch the movie now this year, the movies this year, and I'm going to remember all these things and I'm going to wish I interviewed them, but, or ask you about them, like things that were always so random to me in the movie, but two of them came to mind. It's like, I don't want to boil you in pudding. So first of all, what is pudding? What? <laughs> and then why is his name Ebenezer? Cause I, 
I think of here, here I raise my ebony. Is it like it's a gravestone? So what's up with Ebenezer, the name? What's up with boiling and pudding? And and is there anything significant to like ghosts and go, like is there or is it just as foreign as it was back then as as it is now? Or was that connected with something? Yeah, I, I'm not sure where to start on that. But ghosts, ghosts in the Victorian era and even today uh are just part of the Christian tradition. I don't know why. I'm sorry, the Christmas tradition. Ghost stories, uh, I think uh, Henry James's Turn of the Screw is a ghost story on Christmas Eve. Um, uh, so you, uh, for some reason, uh, ghost stories were popular as Christmas stories. Um, and so that, that would account, I think, for the, I don't think Dickens started that tradition, mm. uh, that, but that would account for the ghosts in Christmas Carol. The, 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 a Christmas pudding um, is more like a, um, it would probably look uh, like a molded jello, <laughs> but it would be kind of thicker uh, and you would actually, you could, you could cut it. Um, I'm, Are we talking I'm like just, a fruitcake? Are we talking like a fruitcake? <laughs> not quite like a fruitcake. My my um, my wife's grandmother used to make a a um, a stuffing that was like a a roll or a log. <laughs> it's delicious stuff. It was English stuffing. I wouldn't eat it at first, but my she knew I was a literature buff, and she would say, "Well, Milton ate that." <laughs> I said, "Well, if Milton ate it, I then I'll eat it." But it was, it was, um, yeah, just thick. Um, like, um, we used to make those things out of suet for birds. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. it would, a pudding would be kind of like that, you know, and, maybe, but you would, you would boil it and it would, it would, you would cook it that way on the hearth. And he would want to boil those solicitors in it as well. Yeah. Jeez, Louise, it makes <laughs> me think of National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation when like the, the grandma brings that box of that green and a cat or something i love any christmas baked good is so awesome they're so old and random um okay why so first of all did coca-cola like invent christmas you know like and so and he's i think he's a little bit before coke so like what what is a like christmas looking like in his time and did he like sort of single-handedly add a new um, robustness to Christmas or, or was he just threw his lot in with what was already happening? No, I think that's, I think Dickens revived along with Queen Victoria, Queen, Queen Victoria brought the Christmas tree back and Dickens no liked that. Dickens just thought Christmas was a great celebration and it, it should be a time of joy and celebration. Um, I wish I could remember the quote. He said, uh, uh, something about we're all children at Christmas, mm. and uh, we're reminded of that because he says our great Savior was a mm. child at Christmas, and so he 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 and he did love his children. He enjoyed uh, being with them and doing things with them, uh, and so Christmas was a time to have that kind of family thing go on, to have to have the tree, to give the gifts, and I think it's fair to say that. Dickens, because of his notoriety and because of his celebrity, 
if he did it, then it was a good thing to do. Um, and so I think it's fair to say, yeah, he kind of revived the Christmas celebration, certainly in Great Britain, and then that that came over to America. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I think we can lay some of that on in his lap. What in in well, the first a two part question. First one is why <clears throat> why do people love a Christmas Carol? Like why? Maybe it's just now it's just a part of our tradition, but like, um, why, why is that? Why does it resonate with us? Or yeah, again, I mean, like some of these random songs I would never listen to, I end up loving, but only at this time. So why do you think people love this, this movie or this book or whatever? And then the other part is, um, you know, like in biblical theology, you realize, you know, like, David and Goliath, David sort of represents Jesus, this young shepherd, and Goliath is the enemy of God's people. And, you know, he defeats Goliath, and then um, all of the all of the enemies become their servants. So that's a, a picture, like types and shadows. Um, is there sort of types and shadows that that might be lost on some of us people who aren't aware of, you know, London in the mid 1800s? Or is it pretty straightforward? I, uh, probably a little bit of both. Uh, you want to you want to pay attention to what's going on in the Christmas Carol, but I don't think there's much of it that's allegorical. Mm. I, I've read critics who have looked at it that way. Uh, uh, there's a, I think Janet Larson wrote a book that's all about the allegory in Dickens, and it gets a little weird. Um, <laughs> I, I'm I'm I tend to be more of a historian so i'm looking mm. at at the face value of things uh, i i am i was trained in literature in my undergraduate work so i have an appreciation but i'm by no means a literary critic or nor do i read literature that way i'm more of a fan of it mm. uh, and yet uh, with my background also in hermeneutics I, that comes mm. when i when mm. i look at l any literature mm. i read it in a in a historical grammatical sense because I think that's where the value is. And I think when we, when we think about authorial intent, and I'm one who believes in that, yeah. if I read A Christmas Carol, I'm thinking Dickens is trying to tell me something and mm -hmm. he doesn't want to hide it anywhere. Mm -hmm. he, he doesn't want it to be in symbols. He, he yeah. wants me to see it. Mm -hmm. um, as far as um, why it resonates, I, I think part of that is because uh, within the narrative, uh, we see the Victorian Christmas. We get an idea of that whole thing. Um, and I think people still like the celebration of Christmas that way. Um, and I think Dickens did that there. But it's also, whether, whether you're a theologian or not, whether you speak in that language, it's a story of redemption. And I think people like that. I, you know, I'm just thinking of the, the, the success of Ted Lasso today, yeah, um, that has kindness and, and goodness in it, and mm. uh, people succeed because they they join together. Uh, I, I think we're we're kind of starved. I, I'm 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 yeah. wondering as a literature person when this whole movement of realism is going to end. When we have to have the flawed hero. We can't we can't have a hero. Well, I love hero. what you're saying right now. Uh, so why, uh, 
why do this stuff does this stuff resonate with people i think because they they do want a hero when i <laughs> when i see entertain when i watch something to be entertained i, I want to be entertained i don't want realism there's enough yes. of it in my life every day i, I honestly want- say that every day i'm like i'm already I should be the happiest man alive, but like life is horrible. I'm already sad enough. I don't want to watch some other guys sad. It just exactly. resonates with me. <laughs> right. So I think we see that in, uh, you, you know, we see the, we see the perfect if Freitag's pyramid of the, the, the dramatic movement. We see that really clearly in, in Scrooge or, or in, yeah, in Scrooge, the character, but in a Christmas Carol, so it's kind of one of those stories that just so well told and, and we see some ugliness, but we see goodness triumph. And uh, it's just a, I think that's, I, I think it resonates that. And that's, that's something that's eternally contemporary. It just, mm, uh, it just yeah. always going to be. People so. always rag on, it used to be people's hobby to rag on like Thomas Kincaid paintings, you know, cause it's all like right. cottages, but I was, even as a young, like punk rocker, I'm like, I love that. That looks like a coat. I'd like to go sit on that sofa in that house. It looks warm in there. Come on, you guys. Don't be too cool. You know you want to sit in that house on Christmas. No no matter what is. Yeah, exactly. Um, I do have one thought about Ted Lasso. I hate that his like, like his wife's like, I'm sorry, I tried. And then she's like divorced. It's like, don't, you don't love his commitment. It's so that part is so annoying. I mean, that's a great movie, but that's just since you brought it up, that's just the one biggest irk. I'm like, come on, you're just like so noble. I tried. No, you don't just try. Love right. is a commitment. Of course, you fall out of love. Get out of here. It's not- <laughs> <laughs> yep. I love what you're saying. So, okay. Last question for you. Um, you studied, you studied at St. Andrews, right? Yeah. That's the real, that's the real deal. That's everyone's dream. So well done that you did it there. Um, when you went around and you're like, I'm studying Dickens and I'm at St. Andrews. Did you get like ushered in, in into any like back rooms and saw like a lock of his hair or any sort of cool Dickens or what you would call that? Do you meet any uh, family members? You know what I've met and worked with, uh, Gerald Dickens, his great great grandson, I think. What? Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> there's me and Gerald right there. You stop it. Yeah. And uh, I, I, a guy at uh, from Minneapolis, uh, Dennis Babcock, a producer in 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 the theater world there, uh, called me up and said, "Hey, I want to do." Um, we're going to do a one man play with Gerald Dickens of uh, the life of our Lord and Jeffrey Hatcher uh, wrote it. Uh, anyway, I worked with Gerald uh, on that project and uh, Gerald's just such a, such a great guy. And, and it's interesting to talk to the Dickens family. I, I went to a performance that Ger- Gerald does these performances or did them all over the place and when we were working in London on this, we called it uh, to begin with, uh, I met, well, Gerald and I had already developed at least a, an acquaintance, if not a relationship. And uh, then I met his brother, another Dickens family member. 
they have a different, they have a, Gerald read my, my first book. Um, and uh, he kind of, he said, I didn't know this stuff. He kind of chuckled at some of it no because way. of the stories that have become not legend, but truth in literary criticism. Uh-huh. And Gerald, Gerald and the family see some of these things a little differently. Whoa. So that's been interesting to work with them wow. or to work with Gerald. That was, I, I don't know that this, this thing had a life of about three or four years. And I don't think that it's uh, going to continue, but that was a fun project. And that's where I met some of the Dickens family. That's awesome. Well, <clears throat> we've been talking with Dr. Gary College. The book is God and Charles Dickens, Recovering the Christian Voice of a Classic Author. Make sure to go watch the Muppet versions of, um, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a good one. I'm not going to yeah, it, it is a good one. Anyways, thank you. And a Merry Christmas to you. Thank you, Jason. It's good to be with you. Merry Christmas to you as well. We came for salvation. We came for family. We came for all that's good. That's how we'll walk away. We came to break the bad. We came to cheer the sad. We came to...